Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Build Value by Choice podcast show. My name is Nana Bonsu, and I have here for you today a guest by the name of an attorney, Matt Johnston. Matt is something of a space flight nerd. He grew up about three hours from Cape Canaveral in the age of the space shuttle. On clear, low humidity days, which are not common in Florida, they could see the exhaust plume of a shuttle launch. The Challenger disaster occurred in his junior year of high school. He actually wanted to be an astronaut, but crappy eyesight, among others, made that dream unlikely. Matt is a well-known expert as a corporate attorney, and he's, he provides monthly webinars on various topics, including decision-making, legal risk management, among others. So he's a good guest to have. Welcome, Matt, to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Fantastic. Now, I know a lot, uh, back in July, you did a webinar on decision-making. So I wanted to kind of talk to you about that because business owners tend to make decisions every single day. Could you kind of give us a little bit of background about what, what the webinar is and, and what, the, what about decision-making makes you so passionate about it? Because I know you've thought a lot about that topic. Sure. So um, a lot of what, I mean, every single day, as you, as you pointed out, decision-makers uh, business owners make all kinds of decisions. Now, some decisions don't require a great deal of thought, like where are you going to buy your next ream of paper, Staples or Office Depot? Nobody really cares about that. But when you're dealing with larger scale decisions, who to hire, who not to hire, um, new product lines, new services, things of that nature, there should be a process that goes into that. Collecting information, collecting outside uh, opinions, and being consistent about your decision-making process is as much a science, in fact, there is a thing called decision science that can allow a decision-making process to actually help your business grow rather than um, being haphazard or shoddy or um, inconsistent. Um, we tend to make decisions based upon sometimes gut feeling. It's not necessarily the wisest idea to make. Uh, decisions in that way. So um, I counsel small business owners. That's what I do day in and day out. That's the core of my business. And it was very important to be able to help business owners, my clients, make better decisions by building a process, working through the process, and then reviewing the process um, so that it's like anything else that you practice, you just get better at it over time. Um, so the most successful businesses are ones that are based not in not necessarily in the greatest of service. It can be a very simple service or a product that's being offered, but if they're making smart decisions consistently, that business will continue to grow. Fantastic. One of the things as I got to learn more about personality types, you know, Carl Young and among others, the talent dynamics, they talk about the various personalities. I think there's about eight personality types. Right? And some are based on intuitive decision-making. So I, I, an owner may be like the creative type who may just like to make decisions based on intuitive feeling. And others may be a bit more right-brained and very logical, methodical, step-by-step. Step. How do you, in your, you know, in your um, coaching and, and servicing of various small business owners, how do you identify, go about identifying? Because Decision-making, logical, process-driven decision-making may not come natural to certain, type, certain personality types. How do you go about counseling uh, 
you know, those intuitive type of owners about following the process or maybe do you partner them with somebody or what is, what is the, how do you accommodate the, the varieties of personalities? Sure. Well, first, each business owner has to sort of know who they are. Um, you know, if you know who you are and you know what your strengths and weaknesses are, you can accommodate around that. And usually I recommend that you build, you know, for lack of a better term, a management team. So it may not be people that you have hired. Um, it may not be people who are necessarily employees of your company, but they provide different inputs because they look at a situation, they look at a problem from a different point of view. So as self-serving as it may seem, you should probably have a lawyer, but you should also have an accountant, an insurance broker, um, a mentor or two or three. People that you can go to when you're looking at large decisions and get different kinds of input um, from different points of view. So the larger that manageable group of a management team is, the more likely you're going to have better information and certainly better options that are going to be developed so that you can see, okay, I've got three options. What are the likely consequences of those options? Somebody who is very intuitive, they probably want to have a management team that will slow them down. Um, that will say, okay, wait a minute, have you considered this? And have you considered that? And have you considered this other thing? Somebody who's very logical and methodical may want to have a management team that's got some very intuitive thinkers on it who are like, wait a minute, this, this feels like this should go this way. And the idea may be to perhaps speed up that decision-making process because you're looking for an optimum time spent on, on a decision. Um, you may not be able to easily identify that time, but assembling a management team with different personalities, different skill sets, different viewpoints on various issues is going to go a long way to improving your decision-making process because you start to see, oh, wait a minute, my accountant looks at things from this point of view. And the insurance broker, he's all about risk. And my attorney, she's about this option. So you, you start to see different points of view, even in your own thinking. And so more and more, you're able to have a process that's um, consistent and consistently applied. Yeah, and it, it just turns out that having a management team also helps increase the value of your business. Now, one of the one of the big decision points when it comes to the transition for business owner as they think more long term is whether they want to sell or whether they want to scale their business or whether they want to pass it down to their children or even maybe pass it to, hand it over to management to handle the, like the management team that you just mentioned, and maybe they just become like a non-executive board member. What process have you advised owners who have, you know, who have come to a crossroads for making that decision? How far should they be thinking about this? And, and when they come to it, what is the process, decision-making process that you help guide them through? So it kind of breaks down into to sort of three categories of stuff. One is, are you looking to scale? Are you looking to build and grow out? That's a different set of process from, are you looking to sell the business versus are you looking to transition the business to other management or you're looking to retire? Um, if you're looking to retire, 
you should be looking five, six, seven years down the road because you're going to need to develop people within your organization right now who are able to step up and take ownership. So I have a client where the the primary owner is looking to leave in the next four to six years, um, largely because his wife is is saying it's time to retire. Um, So that process is a long time horizon and you want to be looking at developing people within the business who can step up and take over the business. For any business who's looking at selling, that's a whole different sort of idea because at that point, you really want to be having everything in place that's nice, clean, organized, easy to see, and easy to provide to a potential buyer through the due diligence process. So that means having your financial records nice and clean and up-to-date, having your contracts and other services nice and clean and up-to-date, knowing exactly where you are, what your numbers are, and and all of those things that go into it. The decision to grow or scale isn't as simple, and it's not necessarily one that's easy to identify a time horizon. Um, But if you're looking at decisions to scale, to to either add service lines or product lines, you need to be looking at Probably a situation of, well, Jim Collins called called it, you know, fire bullets, then cannonballs. So you're going to try a bunch of different things, see what captures the imagination of the market, and then put your effort in there. And I, I strongly encourage the notion of experimentation. Um, try out some ideas, float some ideas with valued customers, or maybe in a, in a small way that you're not expending a lot of money because the more money you expend, the more commitment you put into it, the more likely it is that you're going to get caught by the sunk cost fallacy that you you've put so much into it. You have to see it through. Well, that may not be the best decision. So if you're firing bullets, small scale experiments, then you can find things a little bit better. And that applies whether or not you are a small one or two person business or your Amazon. Um, it's the same concept. The size of your bullets may be different, but that's about the only real difference. That's actually very good advice. Now, um, you had mentioned earlier about um, owners getting mentors and uh, as part of their management team, uh, you know, if, if it's not even uh, people within the organization. How or when does the owner decide if they need a mentor, an advisor, coach, and what kind? Um, I'm, I'm of the belief that pretty much at any point you can, you can obtain a mentor or a coach or, or something along these lines. Some of it has to do with where are you? Are you at a crisis point? Do you see a crisis point coming? And it, I, I, I guess crisis point is not really the, the best word, a decision point. Um, a crisis implies some sort of emergency and it may not be something like that. But a, a decision point, an inflection point, that's a good time. If you need to learn something new, um, for example, early on in my practice, I needed somebody, uh, a mentor to help me through the idea of marketing. Um, I knew general principles, but I didn't really have a good grasp of what it meant to market a service-based 
business. Um, so finding mentors that can help you learn something specific is often really, really helpful um, in large part because usually those kinds of relationships are much more reciprocal. You have the ability to also teach your mentor something. And so it becomes this cross mentorship. Um, so I typically look at, you know, do you see a decision or inflection point in the business coming? Um, and do you see, uh, you know, a need to learn something? In terms of a long-term mentor, obviously somebody who's been in your business for a long period of time. Um, it's sometimes hard to find those people willing to give of themselves, to give their time and, and, and talent and, and sort of pass it on. But um, it's worth just conducting a bunch of interviews, short informational interviews with people. Um, you know, human beings like to talk about themselves. It's natural. Yeah. And so, you know, conduct a bunch of them and then maybe you find somebody. Um and you can develop that relationship in such a way that you then have somebody who's done things and may be able to say, Ooh, I see what you wanted to do there. Here's my experience. Um, and you want to find a mentor who's not going to tell you what to do. Um, having that, that's, they're not running your business. You're running your business. A mentor who will provide another input, another outside viewpoint. And their experience can be very, very helpful, but it shouldn't be the sole guidance that you accept. I know you've written about partnerships. You know, so um, what, what do you have um, on the idea of maybe um, an owner deciding to get into it, whether it's a joint venture or a partnership? Mm. Um, can you share some of your viewpoints and some of the things that you've written about that topic? Yeah, sure. So... Partnerships make decision-making a lot more complicated because now you've got two people who have a financial stake in the business. Um, and my advice for partners before you go into business with each other is to have a series of conversations about how are you going to manage the business day-to-day? -day? That's one thing. How are you going to manage large-scale decisions? Um, whether that's a decision to add a new product line, expand the business, sell the business, any sort of transition within the business, you want to be talking about your process of decision-making before you get into the point where you have to make decisions. Um, most disputes between partners that I have seen result not from um, disagreements about day-to-day -day operations, but disagreements about expectations, about decisions, and how much one person is going to have a role. So 50-50 partners have a real problem that's baked into the, the system. And that is what happens if you disagree? What if you fundamentally disagree about the direction of the business? How do you plan to go about resolving that disagreement? And Decision-making by committee can, can be very, very powerful because you have a built-in group, but it can also be, you know, it's ripe for real dissension. And so having the discussions when everything is good and having a plan and a process in place 
so that when you get to a decision point and an inflection point, it doesn't become a business killing event because the partners can't agree. So I could write a partnership agreement that says pretty much anything, but I need the partners to be on the same page when it comes to how are we going to handle big decisions? And it's a, it's a key point to what has to be discussed. And in my experience, far too few partners do that. Um, it's very easy to go into business with somebody. It's very hard to be um, methodical about it. And I want to just, I want to pivot to uh, government regulations and actions because that's one of the top of mind items for business owners. One uh, item that's hot right now I want to talk about is uh, vaccination policies and what is you now employer rights versus employee rights, individual you know, freedom and individual rights. Um, can employers mandate uh, the employees to take the vaccine or even if the government is pressuring them to? And I know there is a one of your good friends um, did a, a poll where a uh, majority of small business owners at least uh, don't in turn to mandate it. So what is, number one is, can employers mandate their employees to uh, get vaccinated or even ask if they've been vaccinated? And number two is, you know, what about it? Because on the one hand, the other way I can think about it is this could be an opportunity, a differentiation opportunity, because business owners are always looking to attract good employees and if big companies are going to be mandating stuff and, and, and you know, vaccination and, and the employees are not happy about it and some of them want to leave, maybe it's an opportunity for small business owners to grab on, you know, to grab these talents. So, so what do you think about that? The whole thing about vaccination and man, mandates versus non-mandate, that kind of thing. Right. Well, the question of the mandate versus non-mandate is kind of a political question and it tends to be very personal. Yeah. Um, you know, as we're recording this, the, the, the Friday before we were recording this, you know, President Biden did issue a, a directive to the Occupational Safety and Health Administration to come up with uh, language that would mandate employers with 100 or more employees to either make sure their employees are vaccinated or um, are tested every week. Um, to be frank with you, from a legal perspective, it's unprecedented. That kind of, of requirement is, is unprecedented. Um, I am 100% certain that at least some employers, some larger employers, as well as uh, a number of states are going to be challenging the regulation when it comes out. Um, the regulation itself will probably come out in the next two to three weeks. Um, there's a working group, they'll issue the, the regulation on an emergency basis, and we'll know what it says sometime, you know, in the next couple of weeks. From a, from a small business owner's perspective, a small bus a business owners can require their employees to get vaccinated, provided there is exceptions made for medical and or, um, you know, sincerely held religious belief exceptions. So if you're doing that, you're okay. And you can ask people if they've been vaccinated. You can require vaccination to come into the office um, and to come to work. Um, you're not required to. There's no law that says you're required to. 
But if you do, there are certain accommodations that have to be made for, for medical and for religious reasons. So beyond that, the, the question of the wisdom of doing so, the, the question really gets in what happens if employees refuse? Um, and that's the inflection point. That's the decision point. In theory, you can terminate somebody if they refuse to get vaccinated. Doing so may open you up to wrongful termination suits. Even in an at-will employment state, like the state of Maryland and many other states, um, that doesn't mean a, a wrongful termination is, is not possible. And people will file a suit. And whether they are successful or not is irrelevant. They have filed the suit. That means you are now spending money to defend the suit. And that is sort of the, the carry-on effects of terminating people for not getting the vaccine. Um, the, the, the government regulation for 100 or more is kind of an interesting choice. And, and you know, obviously, the government has to make some sort of distinction somewhere. But the vast majority of Americans in the, in the United States work for small businesses. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been trying to keep up with as much as possible on it, but there's something that came up very appropriately. Some people may think that, oh, well, like, for example, let's just say McDonald's is a very big corporation, but employees at McDonald's are hired by the franchisee. Mm -hmm. That's a separate business than McDonald's corporate. Right. So all the people at McDonald's corporate headquarters would have to get vaccinated because I'm assuming they employ a lot more than 100 people. But the individual workers at the individual McDonald's restaurants are employees of the franchisee. And right. they're probably well under 100 employees yeah. unless the franchise franchisee owns multiple um, franchises. So it, it, it's. It's arbitrary um, and it's, it's difficult. But going back to the theme of the decision-making that we have, the nice thing about regulations and decision-making is the regulations are known. They're a known piece of information. So you can see, okay, I have 90 people working for me. If I hire 10 more, then I have to engage in this mandatory action. And that becomes a decision to take or not take. Um, and you have to sort of be prepared for that, but you can see it. Right. It's a piece of information that you have. So it's, it, there's, there's some certainty that comes with it. It's not great, but it is what it is. Are there um, other pieces of regulations that um, business owners uh, um, see as unreasonable that you're aware of? Well, I mean, I think a lot of it comes from from the individual business owners' personal views. Um, I know some business owners who are, you know, some of my clients who are like, I think it's unreasonable. You know, I think the mask mandate is unreasonable for my business because there's no data to support that my business is a, is a spreader. Um, there are other regulations, particularly during the COVID era, that got a lot of questions, particularly like, why is this business shut down, but not another? Mm -hmm. So why is the small local hardware store shut down, but Home Depot was still open with a long line of people outside to get in? <laughs> and, and so my answer to, to regulations and the things that 
people have to deal with and work with is that um, there is a process and you can, in most circumstances, COVID emergency, you know, notwithstanding, in most circumstances, you can see regulations coming from a long way off. There's typically a notice and comment period. There's an opportunity to have an input into it. And, you know, business owners should be engaged. You know, a business owner who is not political is probably not going to be in business very long. Mm. You have to sort of be aware of what's going on politically, regulatory, you know, regulatory actions. And the vast majority of regulations that apply to a small business come at the local and state level. Okay. And, but most people pay attention to what's happening on the federal level. Um, pay attention to what's happening on the state and local level. Um, that's where, that's where you can have the most impact on things that are happening to you. Um, but it's also where you can, you can sort of having those relationships helps you avoid problems by having conversations. If you're speaking with a, you know, local county councilman and they're like, yeah, we're considering this. It's like, look, here's the impact on my business. If you do that and the businesses that are like mine. And, you know, I really want you to consider this aspect of it because a county councilman has to look their voters in the eye. You know, regulators in Washington, D.C., not so much. So it makes a difference. Which means that the business owner needs to be able to put systems in place so they can free themselves up to be able to attend events where their you know, local and state officials are going to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and you'll know where they're going to be. I mean, they make it known um, where they're going to be. And so, you, you know, having, you, you know, having some support systems in place or having mechanisms that allow you to be involved at that level, that's more, that's more where you're going to get protection and, and things of this nature, or you'd be able to head off some negative things. Um, one of my big, for example, one of my big complaints about Maryland Governor Hogan's um, COVID response team is there was nobody on that response team or that advisory panel that was a small business owner or represented small business owners like a Chamber of Commerce um, representative. Um, it wasn't. It wouldn't have been hard to do that, and it wasn't done. And I think, to a certain extent, small businesses suffered as a result. Thank you so much for your time. Are there any like two or three things that you like to leave our audience with as far as when it comes to decision making and, and government regulations and just sure uh, business in general? Um, most of the the recommendations that I make for um, for clients to get better at decision making is to study decision making. Um, probably one of the best books that is fairly easy to read, but very well written and has a lot of different elements to it is a book by Annie Duke called Thinking in Bets, which is it's about decision making in the absence of perfect information. We never have perfect information when we're making decisions. And so she guides you through various sorts of processes and ideas that you can do it. Um, she's, uh, Annie Duke is a former professional poker player, but the book isn't about poker. I, I just want to be clear. Um, it's about decision-making and 
she has compiled a very helpful, very long bibliography and additional sources that you can go and study. Um, so I recommend that book very, very frequently. And when it comes to decision-making, it's helpful to think about a process. Um, and, you know, we, we tend to think intuitively as humans, and sometimes it's a good idea to sort of slow that process down. And having that, um, that routine, that process of saying, all right, we're going to gather information, then we're going to sit, we're going to analyze the information and, and work through that process so that you're, you, you become consistent about it. So consistency is the key. Practice is the key, like anything else. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. If people want to follow your work or get in touch with you, how can they do that? Um, you can go to the website. Uh, my website is mattthelawyer.com, M-A-T-T-thelawyer.com. And uh, you can schedule consultations with us there. Uh, we have our blog. And um, the blog also links to the YouTube channel where I have my own videos and things like that that we have up. So that's the best way. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. I look forward to speaking with you again sometime soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.